Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome to the Cannon Cast, a weekly podcast from the Cannon, an Espionation blog dedicated to your Columbus Blue Jackets. I'm your host, PD, and I'm joined this week by Burkus Circus. Uh, Burkus, it's been a rough week for Jackets fans, but how are you holding up? Um, I'm doing pretty well. Uh, like it, first three games were kind of demoralizing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this, this is the first time in a while I've actually been able to watch like the first three games to open a season. Uh, but you know, uh, we're hope- hoping to improve, I guess. We got Vancouver, who is by far our easiest opponent so far. And then if we don't beat him, I guess tonight, by the time this comes out, then we panic. Exactly. Yeah. So we have lost the first three games of the season all by three goals, four, one at Carolina, five, two at home against Tampa, and then five, two at St. Louis. So I will point to a few mitigating factors here which don't mm-hmm. completely excuse the losses but they did contribute to them uh Patrick Line got injured in the first game and yeah. prior to that point the Jackets were actually playing really well against Carolina things seemed to fall apart after that uh Elvis mm-hmm. Merzlikens was sick so Daniel Tarasov started the first two games and he was fine but there may have been some ones, especially against Tampa, that maybe Elvis could have started. And I think it certainly can affect the mindset of the team when it's the backup goalie and a young goalie like that, as opposed to the goalie they're more used to um, and comfortable playing in front of. And I think. And also for the Tampa game, it doesn't help that we knocked in two of them ourselves. Right. Yeah. Two of them deflected off defenseman skates. Weird kind of fluky thing there. Um, and then, yeah, the fact that two of the first three were on the road. The fact that all three of these opponents were playoff teams last year and widely expected to be back in the playoffs this year was not the, in fact, that Saturday was such a weird setup where St. Louis had not played 
until Saturday night, whereas it was our third game already and it was a three and four. So that, mm-hmm. you know, that was sort of an unfair thing there. Now, that being said, I think that we were going to lose each of those games anyway. And I think yeah. losing to all of those teams is understandable given that those are better teams than we are losing mm-hmm. all of them by three goals. That yeah. is, as is a, is a massive, massive disappointment. So I guess first I'll start with the line a injury. So he sprained his elbow. He will be out three to four weeks. Uh, this puts the Finland games in jeopardy in his hometown. Yeah. Uh, the first game will be exactly like three weeks from uh, when that, diagnosis came out or whatever so uh we'll see if he's ready to go there i have a feeling he will rush himself back from injury to play in those games no matter what but uh, let's hope he is yeah. good to go there this team should still be able to compete without line a right i mean yes <laughs> i mean he definitely was a major piece of the puzzle mm-hmm. uh and he, i think he missed some time last year too oh right? yeah missed, a lot like... yeah i missed like 30 games or something yeah uh so he, like, we're they're kind of used to it. So basically, mm-hmm. if you take the time when Patrick Laine was out, basically we subbed Bjorkstrand for Gadro. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we should be able to win a few. I think the hardest part is just that in all three games, we had stretches where we were either controlling the play or, like, uh, at least even for, like, good long stretches. Mm-hmm. It was, like, all the second period versus St. Louis first half versus Carolina. And then we just had like everything collapse. Right. It's like, it took like them. It's like, it took them like two periods and then they figured out everything we're doing. And they're like, Oh, this is how we beat them. And then they beat them. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the most annoying part is that we've seen flashes of potential with this team. And right. it's just like, when it comes to the third period, they just have no energy. And I don't know if that is, you know, if that comes down to conditioning, if they had a hard camp and they're recovering from that. Uh, I, I don't know if it's maybe a, a mental weakness that when they face some adversity that they kind of crumble under that. Uh, and that's disappointing. I would have thought that they would have learned enough from last season that they could have gotten over that. Now, in Line's absence, we've seen some shuffling next to Gaudreau. Uh, Justin Danforth played on the opposite wing against Tampa and he was fine. Like that line was still good, but you know, they were the best of our lines, but whatever. Uh, Nyquist was there against St. Louis. Things went a little better. Nyquist got a goal that Goudreau assisted on, but Mm -hmm. with line a out, which center and which opposite winger would you want to have on the line with Goudreau? I think the winger is obvious, and that is Yegor Chenikov. Basically, a okay. line A light. Sure. A shooter. Yeah, because Godro, the thing he does better than anything else, anyone else in the world almost, is set uh-huh. people up. Yeah. Uh, he, I forget what the metric is, but he led in like obvious primary assists or something like that, where it's not mm-hmm. like off a rebound or something, but like actually setting people up with passes. So he should have a shooter opposite of him. The center is more tricky. I actually don't hate Boone Jenner there because they need someone who can play defense, you know, mm-hmm. as that center. Uh, I think Cylinder might be better just because he's like a bit more like quick mm-hmm. and like is more able to keep up, but he's more of a defensive liability. So 
probably win a cylinder or Boone. So if it were me, I'd probably go with Boone just for the sake of our defensive pairings are obviously not going to be able to help them out. Right. Like you can't match like Wierenski and uh, Boquist or someone. I don't know. Yeah. Well, so I I don't like using that rationale of defense for center on that line because, first of all, I don't think there's any good defensive options at center on this team at the moment. And I don't think that needs to be much of a concern for that line because I think um, they shouldn't spend a lot of time in the defensive zone anyway. So I think a center that can just get the puck up ice and do stuff in the offensive zone is what you want to do and deploy that line in the offensive zone as much as possible. So I would agree with Chinikov uh, as the opposite winger. Um, I would even consider going ahead and throwing Johnson in at center now because he showed some chemistry at center in preseason with Liney and Goudreau. So yeah. I'd maybe, maybe go that route or Sillinger I think is fine. And the key too is not just straight ahead skating speed, but the ability to play fast, which also speaks to being able to think the game fast and make fast decisions with the puck, pass it quickly, shoot it quickly. And I think Sillinger mm-hmm. can play at that pace. Um, and I got to say, Goudreau, seeing him in person, like, wow, he, oh my God. It, he is he is as good as advertised. And even with, you know, lesser line mates around him, he mm-hmm. still makes everyone around him better. He is, he is a really, really special player. I'm happy to have yeah. him on the roster. Yeah, that, seeing him in person against Tampa, he was the only one out there who looked competent. <laughs> which wasn't great. It no. also wasn't hard, but <laughs> it was like stuff we haven't seen since Panarin. And even then, I don't think Panarin was, has ever been, or at least in the small of a sample, ha- wasn't as dominant as, or like made it look so easy as Godreau did. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a close call, but, um, but yeah, it, it's, he's certainly, they're in that similar class of players that we, we haven't had very often in our history. So Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. Hello, I'm Neil Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial Series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. Speaking of other new additions, uh, the other players that made their Jackets debut (laughs) were Matthew Olivier and Erica Branson, who we've already talked a lot about on the pod and, and episodes this year. Now, I will say, to start with the 
good news, or at least the less bad news. Olivier, I think, has been fine. I mean, he's a fourth line. He's a fourth liner. He's doing what we would expect from a fourth liner. And, you know, I can still disagree as to having a player of his type in the lineup as opposed to trying to put as much skill as possible on every line. But for what he's doing, he's throwing hits. I think he leads the team in hits at the moment. Um, yeah, 10, 10 hits through three games. He leads the team in that. But, you know, I've also seen him pass the puck. I've seen him shoot the puck. Um, you know, that line's been able to do a little bit in the offensive zone. Uh, they're still getting buried overall, but again, that's, you know, that's not all. In all the of our lines are getting buried overall. Yeah. You know, and, and that goes to Robinson and Corrali as well, but I think, you know, he fits with them. So that's fine. Good Branson. On the other hand, Oof. woof. Oh God man. Damn. Yeah. That so, was... and now thankfully against St. Louis, his minutes, uh, declined a little bit. Um, he had been the, I think, second most used defenseman at five on five against Carolina and the most used defenseman at five on five against Tampa, despite being just horrifically, <laughs> yeah, just, just being horrifically outshot. I don't know that I saw him touch the puck at all against Tampa and all that time he was out there. I think I don't... the times he did, he just flinged it in a direction. Mostly. Yeah, it... I don't think I ever saw him make like a breakout pass. At least that I yeah. can remember. And apparently he had three hits in that game. I can't remember a single one. He had just the one block. I've seen Who was a number it that, of... like, dumped, I think it was Cernak, onto our bench in the Tampa game? I don't think it was him that did that. I don't think it was, but whoever I th- did... I want to say that was, that was a, either Olivier or Danforth that did that. Um, but yeah, it was not good Branson. And, and he's not even, like, blocking shots. You know, I'm seeing yeah. a lot of goals that get scored, and he's between the shooter and the goal... It doesn't do anything to get in the way. He looks like he's playing defense for a soccer team. Yeah, and then you have things like uh, there was a goal that Tampa scored um, where Tarasov got trucked after the puck went in, and Gabranson was standing right there. He didn't stop the goal. He didn't stop the breakaway, and then he didn't come in and shove a guy for knocking into his goalie, which is yeah. you know one of the reasons why people wanted to have a guy like Gabranson on the team in the first place, which I disagreed with. But even if you accept that logic, I don't think he's living up to that standard even. So if he's not playing good hockey and if he's not doing enough of the tough guy things, then what is he doing here? He is here to gloat the fact that he is being paid $4 million for four years by wearing the number 44. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's, oh God. And, and El Polito in our comments, I have to point out, coined the nickname off road for him because he's, he's making four by four. Uh, and I, I absolutely love that nickname, and I'm going to keep using it. But um, hopefully for a minimal amount of time. I wanted to, you know, I wanted to, to have an open mind, and I wanted to hope that Good Branson could prove us all wrong and be at least passable. But he hasn't been. He's been bad, and he has been used improperly because what we saw was that if he's used in a sheltered third prayer role like he was in Calgary. He could be fine. So again, like Olivier, like I said, he's being used in the proper role. He's playing like ten minutes a night. Like that's that's fine for a player of his caliber. Good Branson's averaging like nineteen minutes a night. That's way way too much. He needs to be playing like fifteen minutes yeah. a night at most. What are we doing here? What is Larson thinking? I yeah, that's looking at the line so far. That's basically the main question of like, okay, 
the Rossovic line has been borderline unusable. Uh-huh. And Rossovic, if I remember correctly, showed a lot of chemistry with Voracek at the end of last year. Yeah. So I don't know what's happening there. The good Brad, the good Bradson with Wierenski experiment crashed and burned. Uh-huh. About as much as we all thought it would. Basically, what day did we sign him? July 13th? On July 14th. Yeah. And then Danforth on the first line is just inexcusable. Like, well, I get that he had a good camp and he tried really hard. And he's like, but like, dude, he's no offense to Justin Danforth. Like, congratulations to Danforth. You're in the top thousands of a percent of hockey players <laughs> ever. But what the fuck are you doing on a line with Johnny Gaudreau? <laughs> Why are we doing this exactly? Why are we doing like the stuff? And I get that apparently, according to I think it was Hedger who had the tweet at saying, "Oh, they're trying a new defensive system and it'll take a bit to adjust." Like, okay, is the defensive system just let people cycle and then fling the puck? Because that's what it looks like. Well, so if in the first half of the Carolina game it did look like a different defensive system and it looked very Mm -hmm. effective. They were basically clogging the entire slot from the goal crease up to the blue line and, Mm -hmm. and letting, you know, letting Carolina pass the puck around the edges and take long range shots, but not getting anything up inside. And it was pretty, and then, you know, if Jackets got their stick on the puck, then, you know, clearing it to the outside and getting it up ice that way. But for whatever reason, they just went away from that. Um, in the second half of the game, I think uh, part of it, Carolina started hitting a lot more and the Jackets mm-hmm. just kind of wilted under that, which again, I thought that's why we signed the tough guys to kind of push back when a team got physical and yeah. that didn't seem to happen. Um, so, and that's, and that's especially frustrating because you see the glimpse, like you said, we see the glimpses of them doing the right things, but they're just not able to sustain it for a full 60 minutes. And I don't understand why they're not doing that. The other thing that I want to complain about now, I, I was watching the guardians have a thrilling comeback victory against the Yankees on Saturday night. So I did not see the St. Louis game, but I did see that, you know, for as bad as Rosalvik and Voracek had been in the first two games and they were, they had good numbers on Saturday when they had Kent Johnson playing with them. And yet Kent Johnson played less than nine minutes in that game. So, Why? Why is that line getting like a dozen chefs? That does not make sense to me. Yeah, you can't even say it because like Larson doesn't trust that line because he has Voracek on that line, and Voracek, Mm -hmm. at least up until these past like three games to open this season, has been like one of our more reliable veteran presences, and I love him. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, I just don't really know like why. Like, that's the thing, is that there's, like, a bunch of decisions being made up and down this lineup that when people ask, why is that way, it's just, like, yeah, I don't know. Like, you just kind of have to shrug and be, like, what, I guess, sure. Right, and and there are times where I can, even if I disagree with what they're doing, I can at least follow what their thinking would be. That's and, why and- Olivier and Goodbranson are. Yeah, but then like I'm watching the deployment and I'm looking, I'm watching the games, I'm seeing the stats, and I know that Larson and the staff are watching the game tip. I know that they're seeing their public stats. They're, they've got their internal stats. How are they looking at these same things and not making more 
drastic changes? Why are they still rolling out some of these same things to these games that are not working? That's really bizarre to me. Yeah. Um, and, and and back to to a guy like Voracek, I think that has ultimately been the big reason for this team not doing as well. So Starlake Goudreau, he's playing well, like as expected, fine. Line A looked great before he got hurt. Great. Yeah. The players that are at the bottom of the roster are doing fourth pair, you know, fourth line, third pair things. Mm -hmm. That's not, that's not what holds a team back. Your bottom players playing like bottom players is not what holds a team back. What is letting us down is the players in the middle of the roster. Yeah. Like Voracek, like Rozovic. Those guys are not producing. You know, that takes away any illusion of depth that we have, that secondary scoring, all that. That falls apart when those guys are not doing what they're doing. So to look at the numbers and see... Rozovic and Voracek finally doing well and Kent Johnson mm-hmm. showing what he can do with them. Yeah. But then not getting more of a chance in a game that was still close for big chunks of that game. Now, I mean, I look, I was just looking at the numbers here. You were watching the game. Did they look good to you in the game from what you saw? Kind of. Okay. Uh, it was honestly a decently similar story to Carolina uh, where we were, relatively even through the first mm-hmm. period. Like St. Louis is slightly in control, but it was about what you would expect for when the team that finished, what did we finish? 22nd last year played yeah. the team that made it to the second round. The first period, the second period, we actually like were we were in control. We were mm-hmm. like skating the puck around in the St. Louis zone. We looked like a like good team. Like we yeah. were playing really well. Uh, and then the third period was just a dumpster fire, and we couldn't do anything. So, it, like, it just we just it was like St. Louis just went to the intermission. And was like, oh right, we're the St. Louis Blues, and they're the Columbus Blue Jackets. Yeah. And then just came out and absolutely kicked our asses. It was not a fun period to watch. Basically, the only basically the annoying thing is like. Okay, against Carolina, the clogging the slot thing worked decently well. Before St. Louis's fourth goal, they just had Jake Neighbors run straight up the slot, basically uncontested, and put one in past Merzlikens. Basically, it seems like they were constantly forgetting, you know, how to play defense, and it basically boiled down to like three or four one-on-ones that St. Louis won because, you know, they're it's Vladimir Tarasenko or uh, Jordan Cairo against the mm-hmm. Merzlikens. And like, they have the skill to just win those one-on-ones where our best chance was a Robinson breakaway. And Robinson is a lot of speed, mm-hmm. not a lot of, well, okay. A lot of shooting ability compared to me, but like <laughs> kind of stone hands. Enough, yeah. Yeah. Not great at the NHL level. Um, so it's just like it was more frustrating out of anything because they had easily their best period of the season, I would say, except for maybe the first period against Carolina. And then they immediately followed it up with their worst. Yeah. Like they didn't have any type of it didn't look like they had any type of energy or any they didn't have any chances basically the entire third. All right. So uh putting your your coaching hat here in the short term this next week here. <laughs> What's the answer? How how do you fix this? 
what's the solution to, to their problems here? I think having an actual shooter on that top line with with Goudreau would help. Okay. I I could if we lose against Vancouver, I would say just screw it and put Johnson at center. Mm-hmm. Uh, for now, I'd probably put Jenner or Cylinder still. Okay. And I get what you're saying about Jenner not being able to play fast, but I we need the thing is with line A out, we need someone on those second and third lines. Jenner isn't going to be able to drive play. Cylinder is. Mm-hmm. I'd say call up Olivia, uh, call up Marchenko and scratch Olivier. Mm-hmm. I get that he's here to do the big punchy punch, but and he's doing that surprisingly well. But right. Robinson, Corrali, Danforth was magic the back half of last season. Yeah. So put that back together as the fourth line, and I'm not putting Olivier on the third line. Right. Second line: Voracek, Sillinger, Nyquist, probably. Okay. And then have a third line of Mar. I guess that just leaves Marchenko. Rosvik Johnson. Rosvik Jenner, put Jenner back on the wing. Oh, and Johnson on the first line. No, Johnson's, a, or yeah, J- Johnson Jenner. As that second, as that third pair, uh, not pair, third line, and then they can alternate center. That would be a way for like Johnson to learn the ropes, I guess. Sure. Losing line A hurts a lot. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, all the preseason was just like, okay, you got Godre and line in together. Who are we putting with them? We didn't really think, okay, what happens if one of them goes down? Mm -hmm. Uh, On the defensive end, I put Blankenberg in for. Honestly, either of uh, Goodbranson or Bean. Bean's also not been good, but I don't know how much of that was with him playing with Eric Goodbranson. I think Bean has done very little to prove that he deserves to stay in the lineup. He didn't look very impressive in preseason. I haven't seen anything uh, standing out from him good in these games so far. Uh, you know, I would obviously not play good Branson anymore if it were up to me, but it's not. And I think it's far more likely that Bean gets scratched to put Blankenberg in. Uh, I definitely think that after all we've seen at this point, that something else is going to have to change for the lineup for Tuesday. And I think putting in Blankenberg for Bean is the initial band-aid for the defense that they'll try out there. Um, Now I I've been okay with the, Gavrikov peak pairing as a shutdown pair. They've had their ups yeah. and downs, but I think that that makes a lot of sense going forward in the season. Would you keep them together mm-hmm. or would you maybe put Orensky and peak back together and then Boquist and Gavrikov? If I didn't have to worry about having people on their set sides, I'd probably, I would want to try. I'd be very tempted to try Orensky and Gavrikov together. Mm. Okay. Now with their both being on the left, I don't know. And also I don't, know if that's a good idea but again if we lose against vancouver i'd kind of say screw it might as well try (laughs) uh because who's our game after vancouver boston it is nashville on thursday nashville okay wrong yellow team um (laughs) and then then the thing is that leaves a second pair of peak boquist which actually probably isn't the worst thing then the other idea i just had which may be crazy but what if we did like an addition by subtraction type thing and subbed in Blankenberg for both Good Branson and Bean and then rolled, rolled 13 5? 
am I crazy for thinking that, that that might work? That is that is insane. Yeah, that is okay. Cool. That, um, that is way way too much work for those defensemen. Now I do think it's uh, like addition by subtraction. You know, maybe. So, <laughs> uh, before we go to that route, I think then the option would be to yeah bring, bring up bring up David Yurichek from Cleveland because yeah. he. I would I agreed with sending him down, but I think that he is close to NHL ready, and it's hard mm-hmm. to believe that he would be any worse than Good Branson and Bean have been. And yeah. he provides the size and physicality that Good Branson does, but also the ability to move the puck. And that has been the the biggest limiting factor here is that yeah, the defensemen just are not getting the puck up ice effectively. That's the thing is that like. It seems like they've forgotten that players can be behind them. Yeah. Because I swear, like 20 times at least in these first three games, they've just had a defender, like that's forechecking. They skate, like they skate around him some in some way. Mm-hmm. And then he just comes up behind and is like, lifts the stick and takes the puck, like super easily. Yeah. That's like, like I've never seen that out of like, okay, I've seen that decent, I've seen that a couple times, but I haven't seen that this much, especially from like people like Wierenski. Yeah, like people like Peak, who are normally really good decision makers and really good puck carriers, and they just like are getting the puck stripped away from them, like it's a grenade or something. Yeah, and I don't know if it is if it speaks to a complete lack of defensive structure, or if it is a matter of maybe too much structure and they are overthinking what they need to be doing when really the guys that are good enough need yeah. to be given the freedom to just like. Do, do what comes natural to them in terms of yeah. just skate the puck up or, you know, pass it to this person that you're seeing. Like, don't think it too almost, hard about what you're supposed to be they doing. I think they have the time of like a quarterback in the pocket or something to just yeah. like hang around and go through like their progressions when it's like, no, this is hockey. You need to make decisions quickly and like play semi naturally without thinking. Right. And, like and these guys are overthinking everything. In which we saw in preseason when there were shifts where you had Liney, Jenner, Goudreau, and then the Wierenski Boquist pairing. And those five as a unit, they moved so fast. They skated mm-hmm. fast. They made fast decisions with the puck, just whipping around. And there have been these flashes, too, of, of the Jackets trying to do these really aggressive passes. Yeah. And. A number of them are not connecting. Yeah. But I think it's worth the risk because I think the more they work on that sort of thing and the more they get in sync with each other, those passes are going to connect and you're going to get really cool plays out of them. So I think they need – I could see a temptation from the coaches to try to reel that back in, and I think that would be a mistake. I think – I want these guys to be making the aggressive play. If you're losing the puck because you're being tentative in the defensive zone – that's a problem for me. If you're losing the puck because you're trying to make a great long pass to a streaking forward, that's a play I'm okay with if that goes wrong, you know? Yeah, I get it. But then you, I think we're going to be very icing prone and with how much mm-hmm. this team struggles to get out of the defensive end. Yeah. <laughs> I I don't know how comfortable I am with that because what if that's like Rensky and it's like, say we do go all offense and we have like John, uh, Godreau, Johnson, Chinnikov out there. Uh-huh. Like, I don't know. I feel like at this point, it might be a better idea to just be like, be safe. Like, like basically play lower event. Unless you're, unless you're on the Godro line. 
Yeah, see, I feel like that's not going to be that's not going to be a way that the young skilled guys are going to thrive. Like Chinikov, Johnson, Sillinger. Yeah. I think I think it is better for those guys to play fast and to learn how to play fast and get comfortable playing fast. I feel like doing low event hockey is playing down to the level of you know the fourth line and 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 yeah. we've seen that you know for a team like Tampa at this point with the way that they've evolved from when we played them in 2019. Mm-hmm. they can handle playing low event hockey and they'll still beat yeah. you playing that kind of game. Um, I, but I think if we play the fast game, uh, that that'll actually make it more likely that good things can happen for us when those things start connecting and against maybe teams that have lesser goaltenders. Yeah. Uh, I guess so. Especially if we start losing a bunch early, we might be starting to get a bunch of backups, which might help. Yeah. That's, I guess always the, the silver lining we can look for the there. Rubber banding effect, I guess you kind of get naturally. <laughs> and you look at the schedule, it's like this thing can get really ugly early. It's a tough schedule to start the season, and it makes you wonder, you know, how many how many wins could we have before we go to Finland? Because we've got yeah. this week Vancouver, Nashville, Pittsburgh, New York, the week after that, Arizona, Boston, New Jersey. You know, Arizona's the only truly bad team on that schedule. New Jersey has mm-hmm. gotten off to a bad start and I've expected less than them than a lot of others have. Um, but you know, most of those teams were, were playoff teams last year. Uh, yeah. so that that's a tough beat. So, uh, th- just this week, the Vancouver, Nashville, Pittsburgh Rangers, uh, if we lose see, to Vancouver, we, yeah, if we lose to Vancouver, we're very easily going. Oh, and seven. So you, you don't see a win against either of those, other three teams it's vancouver or bust for you maybe nashville okay just because i i have uc soros on my fantasy team <laughs> and i know he's been terrible so okay. far he's letting like once he got back to north america he let in like nine goals or something ridiculous all right so that's that, that's promising maybe nashville if uc soros just completely forgets how to can be a goalie after that so arizona if... and then new jersey Probably. Now, Todd Richards was fired after going 0-7 to start the season, and all of those losses were by multiple goals. Um, would the same thing happen to Brad Larson, or does he have a longer leash? I I personally would hope that he would be gone after 0-7 multi-goal every time. Mm-hmm. I doubt that it will, right. it will happen, just because, one, Larson had been here a while. He wasn't Yarmo's guy. And two, Larson was literally hired last season. Mm-hmm. So it'd be kind of me waving the white flag in a way. I could very easily, if we go 0 and 7, I could see Arizona being a decision game. Basically. Yeah. But the thing is, then if we beat Arizona, then that, how long of a leash does that give him then? Like if we enter the Finland series, what would that be? One in nine? Yeah. Is that good enough? For like, not obviously it's not, but for Yarmo, is that good enough? Yeah, assuming maybe not. Swept, assuming we get swept, then is one in eleven good enough? Like, no, yeah, but maybe you use some of the the days after you get back then to reset with you know Vincent or some other coach taking over. Um, mm-hmm. And and it's hard. You know, I like Larson as as a person, and I think the team overachieving last year. I think he deserves at least some credit for that. But yeah. I think it's also clear this year that this team is underperforming and the talent that we have on hand is not being 
utilized correctly, and that's a big problem. And I yeah. just hope that he is able to realize that quickly and fix it himself because I think it is fixable. We are still early enough in the season, and so we've gotten some bad breaks, but things can pick up, but it does require being smarter and um, letting our players play to their talents, um, which has not been happening. And some players have been playing over their head, um, which has had predictable results. I'm just, I just Googled who what available coaches are still left. <laughs> and it's Barry Trotz and pretty much no one. And like, I'd love Barry Trotz, but I don't think he wants to come here. Yeah, I think he maybe doesn't want to get into coaching that soon, but that would be interesting. Although uh, I worry that I worry that he'd be too much of a restrictor plate on our young yeah, offensive players. Because I mean, because like people, you know, look at like what he did, Matt Barzell. Like Barzell yeah. has been like just okay after his rookie season because that's when Trotz came in and his offensive numbers plummeted. So, uh, so that new contract, I, I don't love it unless he can bounce back to his rookie numbers, you know, being out from under trots. So, uh, and I think a lot of people think of Barzell still as his rookie form, but he has not been that in a long time. Yeah. Um, What's the guy that, from Europe that would be like the amazing beer that everyone wanted two years oh, ago? Oh yeah. Gronborg, I think Ricard Gronborg, that would be, get that'd be get yeah. No, bring no, bring, what we bring do, him back what from we, Europe. But yeah. What we do fire Larson, after the who do we play right before new jersey fire mm-hmm. larson after new jersey new coach in time for the finland series yeah or uh, i forget the name but finland's national team coach is another good one so yeah, yeah. let's bring just, back a new coach <laughs> bring a coach back from europe european <gasps> vacation <laughs> awesome all right uh, well that'll do it for us this week thanks for listening and hopefully next week we have some better news to talk about uh hopefully the jackets have at least one win under their belt at that point catch you next time for more content from the canon go to jacketscanon.com you can also follow the canon on facebook and on twitter at cbj canon if you like this podcast please leave us a rating and review on apple podcasts and be sure to subscribe on apple google podcasts spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts our theme music is the song Green Eyes by Angela Perley and the Howlin' Moons. Go to AngelaPerley.com for more music and show dates.